Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Thank you so much for joining me today. That was Isaiah chapter 6. Thank you so much. My name is Carl Krenzel, your host here today on Learning Puritan. I hope that you're having a good day. Now today what we're going to discuss, as we have been discussing as you've been keeping track, uh, direction number 6 from Directions to a Peaceful Death by Richard Baxter. Now, again, if you haven't had a chance to do so, I would recommend you go back uh, into Amazon on the Digital Puritan, download that. It's uh, $2.99 or something like that. It's a good price, nice and fair. Uh, I would recommend you go back and check that out and download it for yourself and follow along with us because this particular chapter, uh, today's podcast, is probably one of my favorite ones. I mean, there's it just gets progressively better and better. And this one is no exception. This one in particular, I'm a favorite one, uh, is one of my favorites. And I'm going to share a couple reasons why. First, when you think about it, the people who are, who are really listening to this, if you're contemplating the fact that you one day will die, it can be kind of scary. And it can be a little unsettling to not know what's going on. And, and even as a Christian, I think, you'd find yourself hard-pressed to have enough faith every single day to, to maintain a stiff upper lip, right? But when you think about the promises of God and you think of the things that Christ has told us, well, then we can take a lot of heart. And Richard Baxter really pours a lot of this out in this chapter. And I'm going to do a lot of quoting from this. So hopefully you'll be uh, able to follow along with me. So let's just go ahead and look at direction number six. He writes down, he says, look up to God and believe that you are going to see his face and to live in that perfect everlasting fruition of his fullest love among the glorified. Oh my gosh. Wow. What a what a what a wonderful promise. You know, when you think about it, yes, death is terrifying. You know, there's no experience that prepares you for that. But certainly we can take a lot of comfort and know that the God that created us is going to be there waiting for us with outstretched arms. And and if it's wonderful to know his works here, well, what will it be like? to see the cause of it all. What would it really be like if God has been so good to you here? Well, then what's it going to be like when you get there? Richard Baxter wrote down, he said, if we only know, uh, I'm sorry, if we only knew him whom we must then behold, how many, or how weary should we be of this dungeon of mortality? Let me repeat that because I screwed it up. If we only knew him whom we must behold, 
How weary should we be of this dungeon of mortality? This body, this flesh is literally a dungeon for you. I mean, you got to feed it, you got to clothe it, you got to shelter it, you got to take care of all of its needs. And it's very difficult sometimes to, to worship God. Even, even when you're trying to pray, your knees hurt, arthritis kicks in, your mind starts wandering. And despite your best efforts to pray and to, to seek God's face, you find your flesh getting in the way. This dungeon of mortality. How fervently should we long to see his face? One sight of God. This is what really gets me. One sight of God, he said, is worth more than all the kingdoms of the earth. Now, when you think of today's so-called superstar athletes or megastar movie stars, high-paid actors, presidents, or whoever they may be that are the, uh, the, the princes or royalty of the earth, you know, all of their kingdoms and all of their power and all of their money for all of their life cannot be compared to a single moment, just a single moment of seeing God by a blessed saint's face. When you think about it, you're going to be in heaven forever. And how easy is it going to be for you to be in God's presence then? Now, just think about some of the examples from the Bible, right? If David thirsted to appear before God in his sanctuary in Jerusalem, that's in Psalm 42, well, then how much more should we desire to see him in heaven? A, a glimpse of his uh, quote-unquote back parts, right, was as much that Moses could possibly stand, and that's that's Exodus 34, and yet it put so much glory on his face that the Israelites couldn't stand to be around him, right? That's, that's verse, uh, I'm sorry, uh, verse 9 and 30. Uh, the, the vision, for example, that Stephen had before being stoned was enough to comfort him in his moment of need. That's Acts 7, 55 and 56. When you think about the glorified Christ, you know, uh, being just ravished, if you will. The apostles, they, they, they beheld Christ being glorified before them. Peter was left speechless. He didn't even know what to do. He says, shall we, shall we make a tabernacle for the three of you? I mean, what should we do? Paul, think about Paul, his, his vision, right? A persecutor of Christians, given letters to haul away Christians into prison and to secure them and to torture them and do whatever it takes to get them to renounce the Christ. Well, he's on his way to Damascus and his vision of a third heaven and being taught by Christ allowed him to accomplish what he did in his ministry. About all these things that are told to us in the Bible are going to pale in comparison with what we will see just imagine, when we die, our perfected bodies will be able to see and view Christ perfectly. Imagine what stops you 
we, we read in Hebrews, we see that no, I'm sorry, uh, Paul said, I want to say it's in Corinthians, I'm not 100% sure, said that he dwells, no, no, it's first, uh, first Timothy 6, uh, yeah, first Timothy 6, yeah, he says that he dwells in immortality, that no man can see him. See, when, when God lives in mortality, and you as a mortal being, you cannot envision, you can't see it, it's not something that you can vision, uh, envision with your eyes. But when you are perfected with the body that Christ will give you, a perfected body like his, well, your perfected soul will have the God of truth, the most perfect light, right, to know. And, and, and our understanding will be perfected. And because understanding is the passage to the heart or, or even the will, if you will, then that's how you're going to be able to see God. See, truth is subservient to goodness. And, and here's something to remember. If you're writing notes down, I wrote this down. This was something that, that really struck out to me that Richard Baxter wrote. I'm not smart enough to say that I came up with this. I didn't. This was him. Let me just explain this one to you, right? Though the understanding is capable of no more than the beatific vision, right? The man is capable of more even receiving the fullest communications of God's love and a feeling of it poured out upon the heart and living in the returns of perfect love. Let me repeat this. Though the understanding be capable of no more than the beatific vision. So to just stop you right there, if you were to see Christ as, as the apostles saw him, right? The apostles saw his beatific vision and their understanding was capable of understanding it just to a certain extent, right? Because they're human. I remember that they didn't necessarily recognize him on the, uh, on the shore when they were fishing after his resurrection. And, and, and shortly Peter says, oh, it's, it's, it's Jesus. And he takes off his clothes and hops in the water and swims out to him, right? <laughs> when you think about it, in the understanding that you have in your mortal body, you're only able to understand a certain amount of, of, of Christ and his word and his vision. And, but yet, when you, when you pass away, the man, he says, becomes capable of more. Your body is capable, or not your body, but your, your, your spirit, your soul is capable of more, even receiving, quote, the fullest communications of God's love and a feeling of it poured out upon the heart and living in the returns of perfect love. So in other words, now you see, as, as Paul said earlier, you see dark through a glass darkly, but then you're going to be resurrected in a new body. And in that new body, you're going to be able to accept the fullness of God's love for you in its entirety, poured out on you. Right, This intercourse of love, he said, this intercourse of love, interesting choice of words, is it not? I mean, in, in, in the 17th century, intercourse certainly had a different meaning than it does today. Intercourse then was this, this interchange of ideas or thoughts or, you know, this exchange, if you will, right? This intercourse of love will be our highest joy. And this, 
right? This heavenly joy he's speaking of would be the la- the top of heavenly felicity, the, the tippity top of the mountain, right? If you want to think about the extent of how great it is to be with God and in heaven, think about how much love you will be receiving directly from God into you and your spirit. This, this mingling of your spirit and him being found in him and knowing the power of his resurrection and the love that he gives you will be the ultimate pinnacle of heavenly bliss. That's what he's saying here. Oh, he said that, that God would make me know, right? To make us know. If God would just make us know by a lively faith what it is to, to behold him in his glory and to dwell in that perfect love and joy. Man, that is a perfect thought. I, I just wish I was so eloquent to say it like he did. Oh, that God would make us know or make one know by a lively faith what it is to behold him in his glory and to dwell in perfect love and joy. If you knew, right? If you knew what it is to actually see God and, and see his glory and to dwell in his perfect love, to, to be the, the apostle, right, whom Jesus loved. If you, if you could see him on the mountain, if you could, uh, uh, being transfigured, if you could uh, rest in his bosom, if he washed your feet, if he could make you know by a lively faith what it is to behold him in his glory and to dwell in his perfect love and joy, well then, Death would would really no more dissuade us or dismay us. Look at the apostles. Peter being willing to to being crucified upside down. All the other ones. James, his brother, thrown off the the temple of Jerusalem. Andrew killed in uh, Ethiopia. Uh, When you think about all the apostles, uh, John being exiled to Patmos, when you think about all the apostles and the afflictions they went through, People don't die for a lie. They had to be seeing something greater than themselves, a a love that was stronger than their selfish love, a strong love that overpowered their desires, that drew them in, that caused them to not fear death. Oh, that God would make us know by a lively faith what it is to behold him in his glory and to dwell in his perfect love and joy. Death wouldn't dismay us and we would not resist such a blessed change. That's the truth. If we really knew what we were getting into when we came into Christ, we would never resist death. That's today's podcast. I hope it was helpful for you. If it was, share it with somebody else. And if not, hey, Do me a favor when you're on your knees talking to the Lord tonight. Mention the podcast. Lift us up in prayer that we'll be able to help others. And for that, I will thank you. And as always, I hope you have a blessed and happy day.